Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to talk to you this morning about the crucified life. Why do I want to talk about that? Because that's what the Lord laid on my heart. <laughs> and I want to start off from where we left off last week. I closed off last week making this statement that we need to get to the point in our relationship with God, in our desire to follow the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where it has become unthinkable for us to embark upon our day without first having submitted ourselves afresh to the Lord. We need to get to the place where we are so cognizant and aware of God's presence, of the person of Jesus with us, of the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit, that we would think it unthinkable, unimaginable. How how could we possibly go into our day and get busy with our day without having afresh presented ourselves as vessels for righteousness to our Lord, to speak into our lives, to affirm and encourage us afresh, to provide and to taste of and to enjoy those new mercies that are fresh every single morning like manna on the ground and to receive not just the affirmation that we need but to present the instructions that we need to, to present our lives to Him, not coming with our checklist, not coming with the many things we need God to do for us, but coming to say, Jesus, You are my Lord. This is a day that You have given me. This is not my day that I'm inviting you into. This is a day that you have made. How do you want me to live this day? The truth is that when we read the Bible, we see very clearly that the way to victory and success in the kingdom of God does not come through self-assertion, but only through self-denial. And this principle puts our lives into the hands of God and empowers Him to work in us as well as on our behalf. Psalm 31 verse 5, the psalmist says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. You have bought me. Let me give you a very simple definition of what redeemed looks like. I deem this Bible to be mine. This is my Bible. Until somebody, for some strange selfish reason, came along and stole it from me. You are so good at this. (laughs) And I came back and I said, I want my Bible and you said, what, do I, what, what, what are you going to pay for it? And I said, I'm going to lay down my very life to which you said, right. And now I am redeeming this as my Bible. You see, you and I began when God created mankind. He created him in the image of God. And he was under the lordship of God until someone came along and stole him. Truth be told, we gave him that new lordship. We stole ourselves into this situation. And no longer were we under the lordship of Jesus Christ or the lordship of God until His Son came, died at death, 
to, to pay the price for the very sins of mankind, the rebellion of mankind, the, the whole idea that we can in and of ourselves as a created thing fathom that we can decide what is good and right for our own lives as if we were not created with a purpose in mind. And through the life and the death of His Son and the blood that was shed, a great victory was won over the power of death and hell and the grave. And in so doing, God redeemed. He deemed again His own people to Himself and fulfilled the prophecies of old that I will be your God and you will be my people. And we see this even in the Psalms. This is before Jesus. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Important words. For you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And truly, we don't see this any more, anywhere more accurately demonstrated than in the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus, or the glorification of Jesus, happened through the progressive journey of the cross. I want to say that again, the progressive journey of the cross. For Jesus, the cross was not a destination. And I want to say for you and I as well, the cross is not a destination. It's Jesus' finishing point. It's your and my starting point. But there is a progressive journey in the cross. Jesus had a, a life of progressive journeying towards the cross. In other words, the power of the cross became effective in his life from when he was a very young man and worked itself from greater and greater and greater measure till the point where he met the cross. And you and I, as our starting point, have a progressive journey of crucifixion from that cross into a greater level of abandonment to the Lord, a greater level of crucifixion. You see, we should not see the cross as the climax of a life that was being, of, of Jesus' life. Oh, sorry, we should see the cross as the climax of a life that was being led constantly to death, realizing that this very pattern God desires to repeat in your life and mine. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see from the very beginning, I'm not going to read it this morning, Philippians 2, 5 to 10, Jesus humbled himself, came in the form of man. And as a man, he humbled himself to man and became obedient to man, even to the point of death where he humbled himself to the cross. And so from the very beginning, Jesus laid down his rights, his desires, his power, everything that he could claim as some kind of authority in abandonment to the will of the Father. And he was very acutely aware of this, even as a young man. We know the story Jesus is 12 years old. His parents take him to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They lose him along the way. They, they're left. They're thinking Jesus is with the party. They travel a whole day before realizing that Jesus isn't with them. It's one thing to lose your, your child. It's another thing to lose the Messiah of the world whose care you were entrusted with. And so eventually they go back to Jerusalem. It took them three days to find Jesus. And when they find him... He says to them, Luke 2, 49, why were you searching for me? Doesn't this sound just like a preteen? I'm sorry, any of those who have, it's like a teenager. Jesus grew just like a normal person, like, Ma, Dad, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I must be in my father's house doing what he's called me to do? And they did not understand him. Any of you have trouble understanding teenagers? Mary and Joseph were no different. 
And Jesus, too, felt misunderstood. And then they went down to Nazareth with them. And there's two verses in the entire Bible that speak about the next 18 years of Jesus' life. The bulk of Jesus' life was lived in obscurity. And there's two words that, two verses in the entire Bible that speak about them. One of them is here. He was obedient to them. But his mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, you and I can understand that Jesus had to grow in favor with man. Do you know that Jesus had to grow in favor with God? We struggle to get our heads around that. Jesus himself had to prove himself trustworthy. Even after his baptism, the first thing the Spirit of God does is lead him into the wilderness to be what? Tested. Before God would release Jesus into his ministry, he had to test where the first Adam failed, where the first Adam took matters into his own hands. Will the second Adam, will my son continue to trust me in the most severe trial of his life thus far? And he proved faithful. He proved faithful. That was a crucifixion moment in his life. It wasn't the crucifixion, but it was a moment of testing. And throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, there are so many Scripture verses where He articulates the fact that I am not here for myself. I'm not here to build a ministry. Let me read some of them to you. Matthew 20, 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to build a ministry. He knew exactly why he was here, to lay his life down. John 5, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. He was not trying to impose his agenda or his, his methodology on God and trying to get God to bless it. He was looking, saying, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And allowing the Lord by His Spirit to lead him. John 4, 34. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work. Interesting choice of words. Finishing His work. Not my work. His work. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This was the pattern of Jesus' life. You know, we spoke a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, about the stubbornness of our will, the stubbornness of our mindsets. You know, we get stuck in ways of thinking and ways of doing things that at some point, they're not necessarily bad. At some point in our lives, God added those things to us and built these things into our lives because they were a step in our journey of growth and development. But many of us have become stuck on that step. And there's another step that's going to require a different way of thinking. It's going to require a different perspective to take that next step. 
As we've said, we are where we are because of how we think and what we've done up to this point. The problem is we also stay stuck where we are because of how we think and what we've done up to this point. And if we want to move on, a mindset, a perspective, a paradigm needs to shift and a change needs to take place. And for that to happen, our will needs to be submitted to the Lord. We often say, I want to get out of the driver's seat and Jesus, you drive. But we still want to hold the GPS. No, we still want to be the GPS. And we want to keep recalculating where Jesus is going, still to get us to where we think He should take us. But in order for God to do what He wants to do in your life and in mine, those wills, our wills, our ideas, need to be put to death again and again and again. Because until we are willing to let them die and walk away from them, we cannot receive the new thing that God desires to lead us into. Amen? And so we see this pattern of Jesus again and again and again. From a young child, I'm here to do my father's will. And at that stage, my father's will is to honor my mother and father and submit to them. And so I will. And he did for the next 18 years of his life. Very interesting. Very interesting to me that the person who ushered him into his ministry was his mother. Don't you know my time has come? No, your time has not come. You're 12 years old. Come, fall in line. Then at 30, at 30 years old, he's at a wedding feast, and uh, his mom says to him, there's no wine. And uh, he says, What's, that's not my problem. And so she looks at the servants. He, he says, my time has not come. So Jesus himself didn't realize it. His mom knew something he didn't. And she said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She pushed him. She gave him that nudge. Incredible. And we see this culmination of the pattern of Jesus' life, of death working itself out throughout the Scriptures. It sort of comes to a, a head here, John chapter 12, and we're going to read a few verses from 20 to 28. Now there were some Greeks or Gentiles among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and in Galilee, with a request saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. It's quite interesting for me that Philip didn't go to Jesus, he went to Andrew. He, they weren't quite so sure if Jesus was going to be willing to speak to these Gentiles. There was something in this that they went as a tag team. And Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered him, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and exalted. What is he talking about here? His crucifixion. He, Jesus' idea of exaltation and glory is the exact opposite of our world's idea of exaltation and glory. And we need to realize that if we are going to be kingdom people. Amen? The world's idea is to be glorified, is to be on top and to shine. But the kingdom idea of glorification is that God is able to use you to serve and to minister to and to bless. That is godly glorification. And this is something that the world could only see as disgraceful humiliation, but Jesus saw it as glorification and continues to see it that way. 
And Jesus said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, just one grain, never more. But if it dies, it produces much grain and yields a harvest. And we are here this morning, folks, as part of that wonderful harvest that Jesus has harvested, that Jesus has reaped because of that one grain of His life that was sown into the ground, one sun sown as the first fruits, risen as the first fruits among many, many brethren. Verse 25, The one who loves his life eventually loses it through death, Jesus said, but the one who hates his life in this world, in other words, and is concerned with pleasing God, will keep it for life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me, conforming to my example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. And wherever I am in heaven's glory, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, reading these words, we may get the mistaken impression that Jesus had kind of come to this place in laying down His life, in giving up His own will, in doing what the Father wanted, where this was no longer a struggle for Him. This was kind of His natural way of life. He'd grown to this place of maturity where He was so completely selfless that this was just His natural everyday flow. And I want to say to you, you are mistaken. We have this idea that, oh, as we grow in Jesus, this becomes easier. No, because the more we grow, the greater the sacrifice becomes. This is something you and I all will grapple with. Don't feel bad that this is a struggle for you. Don't think that there's something abnormal or wrong about you. Or Why am I grappling with my flesh this way? Why is my will so stubborn? Jesus himself says in the very next verse, My soul is troubled and deeply distressed. I know what's, what I've done, and I know how I've served God to this point, but this next step has left me vexed. And maybe you know what the Lord's been saying to you. Maybe you know what that next step is for you, but you haven't taken it. There's hesitation because your soul, true too, is troubled. You understand the cost implications, just as Jesus did. And so there may be hesitation. But Jesus' response is this. What shall I say to the fact that I am troubled and distressed by this? Father, save me from this hour of trial and agony. Interesting words, don't you think? Isn't that exactly what he did a little bit later? We're going to get there. Am I going to say, Lord, save me from this. Take me out of this. I don't want this anymore. But, he said, it is for this very purpose that I have come to this hour, this moment in time. And I want to say to you, it is for the death of that thing in you that you have been brought to this very moment so that through that death, new life and resurrection power may flow into and through your life. It is for this very purpose. It seems painful. It seems hard. It seems difficult. But for this very reason, God has brought you to this point because only through that pain and only through that death can the life of Jesus be manifest in your soul and in your life in the season and the moment that you are in. Praise be to God. Rather, Jesus said, I will say, 
glorify, honor, and extol your name. God, never mind how I'm feeling in this moment, never mind how hard this may be for me, you glorify your name. I put it all on the altar. I hold nothing back. Do whatever you need to do in me, no matter how painful it is. No matter what the cost, you glorify your name. You glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Liam, in what God has done for you, he has glorified his name and he's going to do it again. No matter what the Lord has done in your life, he has glorified his name, but that's not it. It's not he once did this for me and that was it. He wants to glorify his name again. Greater glory means greater death. Greater sacrifice. I've come to learn that every step of growth in my spiritual journey, any step of growth in maturity of my life, has come at greater cost to my personal comfort and to my preferences and to me as a person. I want to tell you very honestly, I was utterly and thoroughly convinced before I got married that I was a truly patient man. I really believed that. What a wake-up call. I thought I was really selfless. I had a father who served my mother. You know, I think my mom can count on one hand the number of times she had to make coffee for herself or pour her drink for the, herself in the entire years of her marriage. My father did that all for her. He, my mother loves pot plants. And when I say loves pot plants, I don't mean she likes them a lot. I mean, she, this girl's got pots. And lots of them which need watering every day. And I used to see my father spend an hour every day watering the pots. And she would check up, have you watered the pots today? And he did it willingly, freely, out of love for her. And I really thought these feelings would be so natural when I get, got married that I would want to do all these wonderful things for my wife. <laughs> Laugh with me, would you? What a joke. Joke was on me. So when I got married and I wanted to mature as a man, I needed to start learning how to put down my flesh and my comfort and sacrificing my desires and what I wanted. And just when I thought I'd reached some kind of level of maturity and as a man becoming more selfless servant, we had a child. Laugh again, freely. And then we had another and then you take on more responsibilities here. That our life of growth and maturing comes with greater and greater sacrifice. Amen? And the reason you are stuck where you are, the reason there is not a next level of growth, the reason you've not been able to take that next step that we've been talking about all year is simply one reason you've not been willing to make the necessary sacrifice. Today is the day. Today is the day we get to choose and say, Jesus, no matter what the cost, I'm coming. We see that Jesus go through this very same challenge once again in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know he withdrew himself from the disciples. He was praying passionate prayers. Luke 22, 
Father, if it is, 42, Luke 22, 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, Jesus surrendered his will to the Father. The crucifixion was the manifestation of what happened in the garden. Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus died in the garden. His end was decided in this moment. Yes, he physically died in the cross. But in this moment, everything was settled. He taught it this way. Whatever you do in private, I will reward you openly. The glorification of Jesus, the grace that he needed to go to the cross and not to call down the angels and rescue him, the grace that he needed to see through for the joy that was set before him, the joy that he, he saw was all found in this moment, in those private places, maybe not in this exact moment, but in those private moments with God, and that enabled him to work out and live out that public expression of sacrifice and laying down his life. This is why we cannot think that we're going to live a life that glorifies God without presenting our lives to Him daily and saying, Father, here I am. Because it's in those moments that the grace you need to live out your obedience is received. It's in those moments where the instructions that you desire and require will be downloaded. It's in those moments where the price is paid, where the will is surrendered, where the knife is applied to the soul in the presence of the comfort of God and the healing touch of His Holy Spirit that causes that life to flow. Without that, we have religion and works. But through those holy, precious moments, God is able to work something so powerful and wonderful that His kingdom comes to bear in our situation. And even in Jesus' final moments on that cross, in His most vulnerable state of all, completely surrendered His life to the Father's hands and said these words, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Psalm 35, Into Your hands I commit My Spirit, for You have redeemed Me. The life of absolute trust and absolute surrender to God is the only life that can produce and demonstrate the power of Jesus' resurrection. From beginning to end, Christ entrusted His life to the Father. And as a result, He lived a life that not only glorified God, but literally changed the world. Jesus was not fixated on His own well-being. He was not fixated on his own comfort. He lived his life as though it did not belong to him, and in doing so, he made it possible for the life of the Holy Spirit to live through him. Every time you and I allow the crucifixion of our own will for the sake of God's, we make way for him to be glorified, both in us and through us. The degree to which we are willing to die to self 
is the degree to which Christ is able to express Himself in our lives. This is just the simplicity of the principle. You see, our greatest struggle is not against the enemy. Our greatest struggle generally is against our own wills. The stubbornness of the self-will. James says in James 4, verse 6 to 7, He gives more grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to say to you, as I start wrapping up, I've got a few more scriptures to read, that one of the keys to living the crucified life is to live as though you are stewarding that which belongs to somebody else. One of the keys to living a crucified life is to live as though you are stewarding your time and all of your resources as though they belong to somebody else. This is how Paul articulates it, and Paul is another person who epitomized what a surrendered life looked like. He said this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you do not know Oh, sorry, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? You see, the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus and said, I want you to be Lord, you said, I no longer belong to myself. I have relinquished my rights to decide what is good and right for me. You were bought with a price, redeemed. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made His own. So then, honor and glorify God with your body. You see, living as servants of Christ is not about relinquishing our rights. It's realizing that we actually don't have any. <laughs> Again, Paul, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Again, the words of Paul. It'll be our last scripture for the day. 2 Corinthians 4.10-12. He talks about always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, we're living in such a way that there is this attribute of death associated with our everyday life that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. This is not just something Jesus did. This is what Paul lived and taught and that he brings, encourages us to step into. So death is working in us, but life in you, Paul says, as he ministers to them. I want to close with the words of a man named Roy Hessian. He wrote a little book many years ago called The Calvary Road. It has been such a blessing to me as I've gone through it many times during the years. A powerful little book. And I have good news. I believe that it's freely available on the internet. You can download the PDF do so. Use it as a devotional. Short chapters, but punchy. And he says this, people imagine that dying to self makes one miserable. But it is just the opposite. It is the refusal to die to self that makes one miserable. The more we know of death with Him, 
the more we shall know of His life in us, and so the more of real peace and joy. Consider your prayer life. Is it centered around what you need God to do for you? Or is it centered around what you can do for God? As you present yourself morning by morning in the presence of the Almighty and say, Father, I do not belong to myself. This great, simple revelation has the power to transform our lives completely if we will truly allow the truth of that statement to settle down deeply within our hearts. Because one of the greatest struggles we all have, and I am included in this, is this idea that I have my life, that I can live the way I see fit, and I can manage my time the way I think is best, and I can prioritize things according to my estimation. Whereas the truth is my life does not belong to me. And if I want to see the power of God at work in me, bringing about the changes that I know need to be made in my attitudes, in my emotional realm, in my obedience to the Word of God, you know, there's many things we know that we're not walking in obedience to. I am going to have to allow the presence of God, that Word of God, to find that place or to be orientated in that place of lordship in my life. I don't know where this word meets each and every one of you this morning. I don't know what you are working through, what you are struggling through, what God is, is dealing with in your life in this moment in time. Maybe you think everything is hunky-dory and this has come from far left field. But this word, this very simple word has the power to bring forth such grace and life into our lives that it's worth taking the moment to sit in the presence of God and allow Him to minister to us this morning. I don't know, if I'm honest, exactly what God wants to do in your situation. But I do know this, that as you present your life to Him, as you hand over those reins, as you and I come and as we repent, as we say, Lord, you come and have your way. I've been trying to tell you what I think is best. Lord, you come and be Lord in my situation. I know that the power of the Spirit of God can produce incredible shifts in our hearts, can produce immense healing, because it is only through that death that resurrection power comes. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to pray a short prayer, and we're going to wait on the Lord today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place here this morning. Jesus, we thank you that from our very opening, you have been glorified in this place today. We acknowledge that we call you our Lord and our Savior, and this is good and it is true. Father, perhaps we need to acknowledge as well that there have been many areas of our hearts or lives that we've been holding on to. Our right to be right. Our right of determination. 
Perhaps there are part of our hearts and lives where we know that we've been negligent concerning the things of God. And we hear your voice saying there is another step. And perhaps we've been troubled with what that might mean and the cost that might imply. But this morning, Holy Spirit, I want to pray as we wait in your presence that you will impart the grace, the understanding, and the mercy that is needed for us to shift and to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think or even imagine. And I want to say to some of you here this morning, some of you have been stuck in a place where you don't even believe it's possible. And I want to say to you this morning, with God, all things are possible. It is possible for you to be free from that thing. From that addiction, from that mindset that has gripped you, that you've tried to get over again and again and again. And you've wondered whether you're going to have this as your crutch for the rest of your life. God says, there is power to break that thing. If you would only believe. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.